Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Slasher Saturday podcast. My name is Derek. My name is Eleanor. And we are movie and TV fans, horror movie fans, and newly married. And we love to talk about the things we love and want to share that love with you guys. On Slasher Saturday, we hit stop and rewind on the VCR so we can look back at some of the most classic horror movies of all the subgenres throughout each generation, evaluate their impact on the horror movie landscape at the time, and how well it holds up today. And of course, we're starting with a special one today, a horror movie that I saw as early as I can remember, one of the very first horror movies I ever saw, along with the original Halloween and H2O, and we'll get to those in the future, of course. And of course, today is Scream, the 1996 film. And this is a movie that very close to my heart, a lot of nostalgia with that, and uh, with this film. And with Eleanor, on the other hand, though, this is one of her first time viewing. Right. This was only my second time seeing it. And the first time was a long time ago, so it's kind of a rewatch of her first time experience. So there's going to be two perspectives on this review for you guys. A longtime Scream fan with me with the nostalgia, and I can kind of overlook some of the cheesy stuff and appreciation for what it was. And you got a newcomer to the crew here, the horror movie landscape, <laughs> at least Scream-wise, anyways, with Eleanor. So hopefully all of the perspectives will be covered today. Alrighty, so let's get into this. Scream 1996 served as a catalyst for future slasher films and was a turning point for the genre. Someone has taken their love for scary movies one step too far. That was the tagline for the marketing of the film, and yet, in a meta sense, the love for scary movies enabled it to revive a dying genre and change the face of horror for years to come. The first thing to note was the state of the horror genre in the 1990s. Halloween was released in 1978, and its success spawned a lot of movies such as A Nightmare on Elm Street in 1984 and Friday the 13th in 1980 in what was eventually known as the slasher genre. And yet to come with the 90s, the slasher genre was relatively dead in its track with poor box office returns. Jason Voorhees was vanquished in Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday, 1993, and Freddy Krueger had been finally killed in Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, 1991. Meanwhile, Michael Myers had been relegated to cheap sequels with Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, in 1995. It just seemed that most, if not all, of these beloved franchises were either dead or were quickly losing relevance. But because of the love of these films, writer Kevin Williamson sought out to make his own slasher film and wrote Scream a whodunit mystery. He teamed up with horror maestro director Wes Craven, a veteran of the genre, having done films like A Nightmare on Elm Street in 1984, The House on the Left in 1972, and The Hills Have Eyes in 1977. With their combined efforts, Scream became a box office success and a critical darling, a rare feat for a genre known to be profitable with audiences and poor with critics. Scream was the highest-grossing slasher film at the time, a record it, a record it impressively held till Halloween 2018 dethroned it. Scream's success made sure that the slasher genre was here to stay, and is considered the first great slasher film in the 1990s. Alrighty, this movie was directed by Wes Craven, and it was written by Kevin Williamson, as we already established, and it starred some 
pretty interesting people who got their start in this film, including David Arquette, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, Matthew Lillard, Rose McGowan, Skeet Ulrich, Jamie Kennedy, Drew Barrymore, and the music was done by Marco Beltrami. It was distributed by Dimension Films and released December 20th, 1996. The budget was 14 million US dollars, and the gross revenue, which is our uh, worldwide box office, was 173 million dollars. So a smash worldwide success. Yes, it was huge. It made a lot of money back. You could say that this For a was a horror film. Right. This was at the time almost your end game of horror films. <laughs> right. And it was the first of a launched franchise. Yes, it was, because uh, Scream 2 did, I think, pretty well as well, but we'll get into that when we review Scream 2. Of course. So we are going to go into the things that we do love about this movie, which means we are going to get into spoilers, so that is your final spoiler warning for this episode. If you haven't seen the original Scream movie, what the heck are you doing here? I mean, it came out in 96. You've had a couple decades to get yourself on track. Hey, don't remind me that it's been that long, <laughs> all right? Don't remind me. <laughs> Yes, it's been quite a while. This is the movie that really kickstarted my love for horror, so I am excited to launch this show with this movie. And of course, our intro music is heavily inspired by Ghostface himself. And all of that love started with this movie. So let's get into the first act of the film. Yeah, And it starts off with the character who's on the cover of the film, Drew Barrymore's character. Yes, Casey Becker, Home Alone, answers her ringing phone. The man on the other end says he must have dialed the wrong number and hangs up. Soon after, he calls again, making flirtatious comments and asking about her boyfriend. And of course, that's when he asks, what's your favorite scary movie? Which, of course, oh, what is the voice actor's name? Could you look that up real quick oh. in another tab? Yeah, I, I don't know his name, but he always reminded me of... A little bit of Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin, but a little bit darker. And uh, the voice actor for Ghostface yeah. was Roger L. Jackson. Robert L. Jackson. That's right. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Roger L. Jackson. Robert yeah. L. Jackson. Roger what? L. Jackson. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. He is an epic, epic, underrated horror movie icon. This character that we saw a Ghostface in the MTV series get voiced by different people and he basically just used different voice modulators. I didn't really watch the series, so you guys let me know if that series was any good because I am a huge Scream fan, but I only saw little snippets here and there and it's not the same without the voice. Honestly, right. the voice is such a huge part of it's the like character. It's like having Darth Vader. James Earl Jones as the voice for Vader. Vader's just not quite the same menacing without that voice, and I feel like it's the same with Ghostface. So yeah, when he's talking to Casey Becker, and you can just see it's slowly descending into a aggressive conversation where at first they're talking about, of course, oh, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, that's the one with the guy with the knives for fingers, Oh, yeah, those movies were scary. And then, of course, you got the meta reference right off the top with Casey Becker saying, oh, the first one was, but the rest sucked. Oh, yeah, that which was... Which is a total, like, Wes Craven just saying, like, yeah, 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 my OG's the OG. Right, and the rest of them can all leave. Right, and they reference, of course, Halloween. A lot of references to Halloween well, in this of, movie. They even played bits of Halloween in this movie. Like the ha Halloween the movie itself and the music, timing it perfectly later in the film with Ghostface coming around the corner and you hear the piano kick in. Yes, yeah, so it was like, dun, 
Yeah, it was so good. And obviously, they're they're paying tribute. You know, it's not just having references to have references. They're paying tribute to Nightmare. They're paying tribute to Halloween. And it's like a horror movie fan inside of a horror movie. You know what I mean? It is kind of like Inception. It is a horror movie within a horror movie. Right. In a way, it's like the Deadpool of horror movies. Kind of, because there was a lot of times in this movie where I laughed. Right. It had some good humor. There's a lot of times in this movie I laughed. There's also times where I just cringed, and it was probably because of Dewey. <laughs> yeah, he is a little <laughs> cringy, of course. Like, I was, I'm 25, ma'am. I was 24 for a whole year. Like, so you do oh watch the God. show. <laughs> <laughs> but they are cute, right? I mean, they are a good couple, right? I'm just wondering, like, how cougar did did she go? Well, I don't know how old she was. Right. They never established that. So I'm like, in the beginning, when she, she seems was pretty like, young. Well, when she was all like, oh, you, you're like, got that 12 year old boyishness about right. you. I was like, ew, girl, what the hell? But now we're just talking about how great the cast is of this movie, just because <laughs> it's such an iconic cast. And all the previous horror movies that we talked about in the beginning of this episode, none of those films had like a full-on cast of iconic characters. You know, there was Laurie Strode and Dr. Loomis, but there wasn't Dewey and uh, and Billy and, and Stu and, and Gail and Sydney and Con Weary and Randy. Uh, you know, these are huge characters that are iconic, stand the test of time in all horror movies. But with that iconic scene of the subverted expectations right at the, the beginning, one of the best, most iconic kills in a horror movie, in my opinion. I don't know how you feel about the death of Casey Becker, but the whole time, it was like, to me, it's probably one of the scariest scenes in a well, screen movie. because she gets her throat cut and her mom is right there and she's like, Mom, but she's getting she can't strangled say and dragged and then hung up in the tree with her intestines all over the place. I thought that entire opening scene was the scariest scene in a Scream movie. Other than there's one other scene in Scream 3 with the mom. I'm just going to say that. But uh, I don't know how you feel about it. Do you think it was a good opening scene for this movie? Oh, yeah, definitely. I feel like it, it definitely sets off your expectations. You're like, okay, this is where we're going. I, I get the vibe. I'm feeling it. I know what we're doing now, and I get it. My only problem with that is you do not burn Jiffy Pop. Jiffy Pop deserves so much better than that. <laughs> <laughs> Jiffy I thought Pop. you were going to say, you don't kill off Drew Barrymore, the character that's on the cover in the first five minutes. Oh, no, 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 no. I was like, okay, I can see us doing this, and we're going to get introduced to the real characters now, like subverted expectations. Which then it goes to Sydney, but right? Jiffy Pop. I was like, I love Jiffy Pop. This is not sponsored by Jiffy Pop, but if they want you to. want to. Hey. <laughs> If they up. want to, we're here. <laughs> we like Jiffy Pop, too. I've always loved Jiffy Pop. And I'm like, she is going to light this shit on fire. I'm like, this is so sad. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was a great opening scene. I mean, it establishes right away. You're like, oh, this is not someone to be trifled with. This is not someone that we fuck with. Not, not at all. <laughs> right. And then the movie then cuts to Sydney, who is attempting to cope with the anniversary of her mother's brutal rape and murder of course the following night while home and alone the killer invades her house and attempts to kill her after a short but intense struggle the killer disappears and what an epic scene where 
he's finally talking, he's toying with her, of course, and uh, she's saying, oh, I love what you're doing with your voice, Randy. It's sexy. And, he's you know, like, I'm not are Randy. you are you home alone in the house? And, oh, Randy, that's not original. It's so not like you. Maybe that's because I'm not Randy. And then yeah. she's like, oh, fuck. And then, okay, well, and then she goes outside, side. which is like a horror movie trope, you know, which well, they the say in the beginning, beginning of the movie, right. he says, that's like going outside to investigate a creepy noise. And then literally Sydney does exactly that. And so you thought, okay, this is obviously where he's going to nab her. But no, he's already in the house and right. attacks her from the closet, which was really cool. And it looks like he's actually about to finish her off already. And then boom, quick kick to the groin and another meta reference where she says, you know, oh, I don't like the that crap because it's always some big breasted bimbo who should be running out the front door and she's running upstairs instead. And then, of course, Sydney tries to go for the front door. It's locked, ends up running upstairs. Just little things like that. It's still intense, but it makes you laugh, which right, is great you're like, about this Oh, movie. now they're doing exactly that. And here we go. <laughs> That's what just like the humor is just like got a personality of its own with this movie. Oh, yeah, definitely. I agree with that. And then, of course, Billy shows up 30 seconds later. And then the, the mobile phone the, the, the drops mobile, out of the his The cellular phone. phone drops from his pocket. Oh, yeah, the Sid freaks out. later when and he calls it when that. Billy, like, honestly, when Billy is being taken away, he seems really distraught, really emotional, and he sells it really well. Skeet Ulrich is very underrated actor in general. That's the guy who plays Billy Loomis. Right. He also looks a lot like Johnny Depp. I was like, Johnny Depp's in this movie when I first saw it? And then you were like, no, 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 that's not Johnny Depp. I'm like, oh, okay, well, he looks a lot like him. And of course, afterward, that's when we meet Gail, where she comes face to face with Sydney outside the police department. And as soon as I first saw her, like, when I first saw her, I was like, I don't like this woman. <laughs> Right, She's she so is pushy. she is hard to like at first, and of course when she gets punched in the face with Sydney, oh, nice shot, like Kenny says. Oh my and, god, uh, I just love when she was like, Kenny, I know that you're 50 pounds overweight, but when I say to hurry, that means you move your fat tub, what was it? Fat tub of lard ass, now! <laughs> <laughs> like oh my god we've all met a woman that's like that and then she just like prances off in her little heels i'm like holy shit and of course sydney gets a phone call when she when she's staying with dewey and uh what's what's and tatum and of course oh you fingered the wrong guy sid you did it again it was like again like it kind of, and it makes her start questioning whether or not she actually fingered the right person for her mother's death too, because right. she was the star witness in that case. Right, it was she's the one weary. who got caught weary in jail, and like Gail Weathers said, yeah, he's gonna get gassed. And of course, Dewey comes out and answers the phone, hello, and then it transitioned to a shot of the the town, and you hear the epic music, the Peaky Blinders theme song. Oh dun, yes, dun. That will always be Peaking Blinders. As soon as I saw it, I'm like, where's Killian? But for me, <laughs> I was introduced to it in the Scream movies. And even though I love Peaky Blinders, to me, it's still like the underlying kind of secret Scream theme song. And they used it really good in the newest one. I'll give the newest Scream movie mad props for good usage of music. And this movie overall, the score is very eerie and creepy. And I love it. I will say, though, as soon as like we heard that song, I'm like, oh, here we go. We're about to enter the 1920s. I'm like, I'm ready for all the people with shaved heads and long hair on the top. 
I'm ready for it. <laughs> and of course, later on, we see Randy in the movie store after they're setting up a party for, you know, all the school's been canceled and everybody's been told to stay home and there's a curfew out. So Stu wants to throw a party at his house. And in the video store, Stu and Randy are discussing the killer's identity and Randy openly stating that Billy is obviously the killer. And Stu, of course, disagrees as Randy then continues saying that epic speech of everybody is a suspect. <laughs> Everyone stops and looks at him in the middle of the blockbuster. And you can see like so you can see as he's saying all this crazy stuff, which he is honest. <laughs> and like, he's getting louder and everyone's starting to look at him like, him. what the fuck? And it's not even focused on them, but you could see them like looking down and looking up and trying not to look up at them. Like the extras they got in this movie are really good. But yeah, Randy's such a classic character. I mean, his whole... Everyone's a suspect. You know, he's probably somewhere with eyes gouged in, teeth knocked out. Talking about Sid's father and... oh, <laughs> Of course, Randy was right. Of course, you know, but... What a, what a great scene, Randy! And then such when a great Stu character. and Billy confront him, and he's like, "Oh, oh yeah, I would be, I would be the most likely suspect." The millennium, I'd watch all of them. Yeah, the millennium, the the motive without a motive. <laughs> yeah, it was like Y two K. That's why oh, we're millennium. Doing this. I like it, millennium. Good kid, good kid. Yeah, Billy was literally like terrifying in that scene. He was yeah. a psycho. There were a lot of moments in this film where even if you didn't spoiler alert billy is one of the killers but um if you didn't know that he was then you would be able to figure it out just by the way he looks and with his just subtle facial expressions even small things that he did with his eyes at stew like okay stop talking dude you're gonna get us caught type face right like people are looking at me people are looking at you like Quit talking, dude. Yeah, exactly. So I liked, I did really like Skeet Ulrich's, like, very small amount of, like, facial expression that you could pull so much from. Right, right. And uh, later that night, everyone begins to show up for the party that Stu was planning. And this was at Stu's house. And at the first, at first, the party is fine as Sydney and Tatum show up. Soon after, so do Dewey and Gail. And that was pretty funny because it's like Dewey shows up and then Gail shows up. And she's like, what are you doing here if nothing's going on? He's like, watching the party. <laughs> Trying to get some with Courtney Cox. Pretty much. That is pretty much his main motivation. Protecting Sid and getting some with Courtney Cox. Yeah, as soon as she starts flirting with him to get information, like he starts taking the bait pretty pretty quickly. Yeah, you feel bad for the guy because you can tell she's using him, but there might be a little bit of emotion there in the beginning, but it's kind of hard to tell with Gail because she's like so willing. She's like Lois Lane. She's willing to do whatever it takes to get the story and then becomes part of the story and realizes my perspective on the story should be told from a different light. Right. I just feel like she has Lois great Lane arc when, in this movie. I just feel like Lois Lane wouldn't go to like the flirtatious bits that... Uh, Gail would. You're probably right, and I don't think Gail, like, she might be the sleeping around type, but we don't really see that from her ever. Right. So it's kind of hard to judge. Right. It is, they don't, they leave it kind of ambiguous there. Right. Right. And um, 
as soon as the party starts to take a turn for the worse is when Tatum goes down to the basement and it gets really meta because she's down there to get beer for everyone. Right. And then that scene. And then the nipple the, scene. <laughs> the, oh yeah, it was like <laughs> she opens the door. Rose she's McGowan, like, love you, girl, but please wear a bra. <laughs> no, whatever, do your thing. I <laughs> yeah, mean, exactly. We, all, we can't tell people what to do, but <laughs> it, it's, it's a horror movie. Hey, it's one of the few horror movies without full blown tits. They had to allude to it somewhere, otherwise, it right? Wouldn't be a horror it movie. wouldn't be a horror movie without anything. And this movie was pretty PG thirteen, as they stated in the beginning of the movie. And that would you be okay with a PG thirteen relationship? I would will say that scene that where they're playing don't fear the reaper the slowed down version and billy's in the bedroom and saying oh close call when dad comes in and whatnot and they're making out and all that in that scene they will tie in later into the movie it's not just a like a not sex scene but it's not just a make out scene they do mention something where uh they're talking about what kind of movie they want to live in and billy says in a very cold way we don't get to pick the movie that we're in. Yeah, you don't get to pick your genre. You don't get to pick your genre, right. And that will tie in later. But I wanted to throw that out there because that was something in all the years I've watched it that I hadn't picked up that that was a little bit of foreshadowing of what's to come later. Yeah, those are small things that Billy Loomis threw in there. The writing in like, this movie is really good. kind of tells you. But uh, yeah, Tatum ends up down there in the basement and then she sees... Ghostface show up and she's not intimidated at all because she thinks someone's just fucking with her. So she's just like, oh, whatever, Randy. She's like, you want me to play the scared victim? And then Ghostface nods like, yes, I do. Right. And then she's like, oh, I'm so scared. Please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. Which is like the first shout out of the His killer's name, name. Right. Which is awesome. And then the dude whips out a knife and it's like, oh, this got for cereal real fast. This got real, real quick. Cuts her arm. She sees, okay, this isn't a joke. What the fuck's throwing beer, opening the freezer door and gets him I on his say, back. I will say, she, gets, she, she does a, a pretty fight. good job. Yeah. It's just... Her she, escape wasn't very good. She no. should have, like, when she ran to go to try to open the door the last time, she should have hit the button to open the garage door and then, and then just ran rolled back out. under. Yeah, and just been real quick about it. I mean, who knows? Maybe he would have grabbed her first, but that would have been better than... I understand she's just trying to think on her feet, but that led to, in my opinion, one of the best deaths slash kills in a horror movie I've seen still to this day where she's caught and the garage door starts coming up. She's kicking and kicking and her body's just being carried up and up and you see the house incoming towards her head. And sure, maybe the shot itself looks a little dated of how her face crushes. Maybe it would be a lot gorier. I would fall out of her face and all that i'm glad it didn't go that gory but for the time and the budget it did a really excellent job of what they had to work with and still to this day is still a scene that like leaves your jaw you cringe because you're like "Ooh, that looks painful and then the electricity uh, static and uh spazzing out because the garage is still trying to open but it can't because it's caught on tatum's face yeah it's pretty uh and then he just (laughs) without looking away he just like slowly strides into the party like all right i'm done my work here is finished ta-da yeah and uh that was just a great scene and also i'm glad they didn't go super into detail with the head smashing like they did in the hall i think it was halloween 2018 where loomis closes his eyes and then gets his head smashed in i don't know if it was loomis or the other doctor the evil doctor it was loomis I i think loomis was dead 
Was Loomis dead? I think okay. it was the new doctor that was so obsessed with him. So the other therapist that was like, I'm obsessed with Michael. Yeah, he gets like, his head crushed full like Oberyn Martell yeah, style. I'm glad, yeah, exactly. I'm, <laughs> like, I'm glad they did not do right, that they didn't in this need film. To do that that. would have been a little bit overboard. Right. This Like, keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, and like, it, worked it still was plenty gory and plenty shocking, to say right. the least. And then, of course, unsurprisingly, a few seconds, few minutes later, Billy shows up to the party. Oh, but you're you're also missing the point when uh oh no, this is a little bit later when Randy starts talking about you guys don't know the rules? Oh yes, we'll get to the <laughs> rules of how to survive a horror movie that has <laughs> definitely stood the test of time. Yeah, because he's right. He's still right. Like no matter like he's still right nowadays. Right. There's still tropes that still are in every horror movie today, pretty much. Also, I just love that scene of uh him answering the phone in front of the camera is like, hello? And it's just like up Randy's nose. <laughs> hello? Yeah. When he's getting the call about the principal being killed and strung up in the uh, the field. And that, of course, gets everyone to leave the house except for Randy and Sid, Stu. Poor uh, Randy. Billy was, shows up at that time. Poor Randy was just drunk off his ass, yelling, No, Sid's Jamie, turn around. Tatum, right. Jamie Curtis. Turn around, turn around. Jamie and then, Curtis. of course, that scene. I don't know which killer that was stalking Randy. Probably Stu, because I think Billy was with uh, was with Sydney at the time. Yeah. But I could be wrong. Upstairs. Uh, they go upstairs to talk, and, of course, one thing leads to another, and Sid breaks the rule. Oh, wait, so then the scene with the... Uh, with the rules was before that, where he right. has to, yeah. So it must have been when they were talking, and of course Kenny is watching with a thirty-second delay and eating cheese puffs. Right, and Randy goes into all the rules. You have to be a virgin. Yeah, uh, you can never have can sex, never have and sex. everyone starts throwing don't shit drink. at him. Don't uh, drink. You can never you can't say, do "I'll drugs. be right back." Right, don't drink, don't drink. No, don't, big no-no, big no-no. Don't ever say, I'll be right back, because you won't be. <laughs> right, and then shortly after they get the phone call, everyone leaves the house, and of course, that's when the big action of this third act takes place, and that's when Stu Mocker's house forever is known as the Scream House. Pretty much, yeah, exactly. Dewey and Gale, of course, at this time are walking the woods and on the street. They're holding hands, looking up at the stars, goofing around, and all the people leaving the house are drunk and speeding, and they roll. And, uh, of course, they roll. They fall and roll, and they stumble upon the car of Sidney Prescott's father. Who was accused of being killer the whole right, time. Right, and they were looking for him, couldn't find him, and all of a sudden, oh, what's his car doing here? So they end up going back to the house. And, of course, afterward, during this time, Billy and Sydney are done doing their business, making love for the first time. Sydney is no longer a virgin. And that is when she starts questioning Billy again, saying, who did they make your phone call to? It'd be really smart if you did call me. It would be a good way to throw me off. And he kind of just looks up with, like, a darkness in his eyes that it's just, like, you don't see throughout the film that he just looks up like, good God, she's figuring it out and I don't want her to. Like, she's right. putting it all the pieces together. Right. And I think, what do, and he said, what do I got to do to prove to you that I'm not a killer? And, of course, that's when Ghostface shows up and pretends to stab him or looks to us like he, he's dead. Billy's dead and not the killer. And the, the chase goes throughout the, 
the house and of course Sydney doesn't know the whole huge house as well as Stu does. Right, because Stu lives there. <laughs> and then uh, that's when Billy stumbles down the stairs at her. And she's all... Is that not then? I don't think so. I thought, well, there was a big chase scene where he, uh, she was running all around the house, ended up jumping off the roof, ended up in the police car trying to call for help. Right, and Sydney ends up escaping the house through the window and sees Tatum's body and goes on the run. And, of course, at this time, that's where she meets up with Kenny, and Kenny gets his throat slit by Ghostface. And, of course, Sydney escapes through that really cool hole in the van and gets through, and, of course, you see Ghostface getting mad. And later, that is when we run in back into Galen Dewey, having discovered the car, And Sydney finds Randy and Stu, who are presented as the only remaining suspects when they both accuse each other of being the killer. Sydney doesn't know who to trust, of course, and slams the door in both of their faces and says, what does she say? She's like, fuck both of you. Fuck you both. A seriously injured Billy then reappears, and that's when he falls down the stairs, and Sydney helps him up and gives him a gun for safety and says, no, it's okay, give me the gun, it's all right, opens the door, and poor Randy runs in. Guys, you got to help me, Stu, he's gone mad. We all go a little mad sometimes, and then shoots him, and of course that is when Billy Loomis is revealed as... The ghost face killer. And then he goes, hmm, cornstarch. That's what they use in, uh, well, for the goat's blood in Carrie. Right. And, of course, that's the scene in the, in the kitchen where she ends up in the kitchen, runs into stew, and you get this really intense, uncomfortable scene for probably a solid 10, 15 minutes of... Can we talk about Matthew Lillard in this scene, though? Because, oh my God. I mean, he's funny. The way he he delivers his dialogue is very goofy and funny. But the things he's saying is like... It's so menacing, too, that it's just like... Let's face it, Sid. Let's face it, Sid. Your mother, she was no Sharon Stone. And he says it in a funny way. It's like, oh, (laughs) but when he's talking about his raping and killing... Sydney's mother and saying oh yeah she wasn't that great right and you're like oh my god when you really think about it these guys are fucked up teenagers that just seriously watched one too many scary movies and they're inspired by all of them and as Billy said uh, movies don't make killers Sid they just make killers more creative as they're cutting open each other and that's when Stu is like oh man stop it man I feel a little woozy here oh my god I love I love Matthew Lillard in this right. so much. <laughs> and this is really when I feel like Gail starts becoming very heroic. When she shows up with a gun to, to save help Sydney, Sydney and her father. Right. And that's when, you know, Billy, of course, knowing that the safety is off and is able to kick her, knock her unconscious, grab the gun, and is about to shoot a stabbed Dewey and an unconscious Gail. And, of course, that is when Sydney brilliantly takes the time, escapes, steals the voice box, the cell phone, calls them and says, what's your favorite scary movie or whatever, and starts playing mind games with them. Billy and starts then, screaming, yeah, freaking the fuck out. And she calls him a mama's boy. Oh, you pansy-ass mama's boy. Yeah. So and he goes to hang up. Sorry, motherfucking ass. Well, yeah. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then she goes to... 
He goes to hang up the phone and nails Matthew Lillard in the back of the head, and he's like, you hit me with the phone, dick. <laughs> yeah, apparently that scene was improvised, where Skeet Ulrich was not supposed to hit Matthew Lillard with the phone, so Matthew Lillard just rolled with it because it fucking hurt. I was watching an interview <laughs> with both of them, and Matthew Lillard, to this day, still believes it was on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> that Skeet Ulrich just fucking hit him in the back of the head with the phone on purpose. Hit me with the phone, dick! Somebody's like, did you really call the police? Yeah, they're on their way. My mom's gonna be so, so mad, mad at me. me. <laughs> what's your what's your motive, Stu? Billy's got one. Well, of course, where it's revealed that Billy's mom walked down and abandoned him because his father was having sex with Sydney's mother. Mom. Yeah. Right, and that fucked up Billy and Billy's life, losing his mom and having a dad he didn't care for very much, it seemed like. And for Stu, he just said, peer pressure, I'm far too sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely, like, if you like serial killers and listening about their, like, podcasts about them and stuff, you'll, like, know that if there's two killers, usually there's one that's dominant and one that's submissive, and they totally sell Stu as a perfect, like, submissive killer. He is definitely not the leader of the two, and Billy Loomis is. Right. And, and so I like how they put that dynamic in there. That Billy's the kind of the one in charge, or more dominant right. of the two, at least. At he, least he's always the... trying to be dominant. He says, give right. me the knife. And, of course, Stu reluctantly gives him back the knife. He's like, I feel like I'm going to fucking die. And I think I'm dying here, man. <laughs> I think I'm dying here, man. Sydney <laughs> <laughs> yeah. then, uh, which for a third act, that's really intense and uncomfortable. They do add a lot of good humor. That's the not humor misplaced and not that cheesy. That is also uncomfortable. Like, right. The humor feels just as uncomfortable as Like I said, they're talking about does. rape. You know, that's an uncomfortable subject, to say the least. And, of course, this is when Sydney is hiding, which they do play onto this in the newest Scream movie where she's hiding and under the, they see the, the coats and the closet. Billy's opening the closet, looks towards the movie Halloween plane and that's when he gets stabbed with the umbrella. And I thought that was so wicked and badass by Sydney in her first movie to not just be the damsel in distress, but the warrior survivor that Sydney Prescott always has been. She's like the Sarah Connor of horror movies. She was not going to go down without putting up a fight. I mean, Laurie Strode is too, but in I would say in Sydney's first movie, she's more of a badass than Laurie is in her first right. movie. Right. And Laurie's first movie, I think. But they're both she, iconic. Right. They're both iconic. It's just, I think in Laurie's first movie, she might have just been a little bit more runaway type instead of stay and fight. Right. And then, of course, Stu then reappears trying to chase after Sydney and they have the scuffle in the living room and he's like, I always had a thing for you, Sid. And she, once again, another iconic death, which was not from a killer, but from Sydney, is when she says, in your dreams, and pushes that huge TV on Shaggy's face. And Shaggy ain't no Shaggy no more. He's <laughs> staticky. <laughs> oh my God, when he was like jolting on the ground, I'm like, I have a lot of questions. First of all, would someone actually jolt around like that? Probably. And second, how the hell did she move that TV by herself? <laughs> I'm, well, I think it's probably on like a wooden platform, so it probably slid pretty easy and then just hit the edge of the entertainment center and just slid right off. 
Right, and back then those TVs probably were pretty expensive. <laughs> oh yeah, and heavy. Yeah. But, oh my God. But you, if I will you've say, ever tried to move one of those, <laughs> I will say Matthew Lillard believes that there is a chance that uh, Stu Mocker could be alive, and that he would be willing to drop a TV on himself in order to prove it. Oh my. That God. is dedication to a franchise. Okay, don't like drop like a light ass curved tv (laughs) or something yeah Yeah. like a little computer monitor see (laughs) see i'm still out there guys (laughs) but uh like you might be slightly concussed but you'll still be alive (laughs) and of course sydney's going back over to billy and that's when randy revealed he is only injured but still alive and also crediting to the fact that thank god i've never been so happy to be a virgin (laughs) (laughs) and then he also (laughs) says now here's the scene where the killer who's supposedly dead comes back to life for one more scare billy gets up before that and punches randy to the floor and then gets on top of uh sydney and starts choking her and that's when she stabs or oh she sticks her finger finger right in the the hole right and then uh as he's about to stab her gail steps in and shoots him i believe maybe even maybe once in the chest i think she shot him once in the and chest. then he starts coughing on his blood and then that's when randy beware this is always the time when the killer comes back for one last scare and, you go, ah! and, and then yeah she pops him right in the forehead and he's done not my movie and that is the uh the line that sydney says after his death which at first when i first heard i thought it was like eh, a little cheesy maybe but now after this viewing knowing that they talked about you know you don't get to pick your genre this is sydney's way of ending the relationship ending the the scars between the two and saying that chapter saying no i do get to pick my movie and this is not how it ends and i really thought that was really powerful in a movie that is filled with tropes and meta and uh, very self-aware, but also is really thoughtful and has some good writing overall. Uh, great score, great soundtrack, Lovely amazing cast. cast, and of course directed by the late, great Wes Craven, who transformed the horror movie genre, then went back to A New Nightmare and revitalized it a little bit, and then transformed it again with the Scream franchise. Cannot say enough about Wes Craven. And also really love that little Wes Carpenter reference that I believe, uh, what's her name? Uh, Tatum said it. And mm-hmm. she said, oh, this feels like a Wes Carpenter movie. And I, I really liked that they were able to just show some tribute they to John Carpenter. They nodded to both of them. Yeah. Yeah, they were like the two kings of horror. We nod to both. Right. And of course you saw, you know, Dewey get lifted in the stretcher and Sydney. Uh, father Sydney's father comes out of the closet and you know they reunite and of course it pretty much ends happily ever after and Gail makes the report at the end of the truth and the honest report finally being an honest reporter which I guess she always was but finally she was reporting something that she believed in and something that she was passionate about she survived chasing scandal right it was just telling the truth about the horrors that had happened here in Woodsboro. Woodsboro, right? Yeah, Woodsboro. And yeah, there's there's Scream for you. So, I mean, for me, this is an iconic horror movie. It was one that I started with in the slasher genre. Uh, it was not the very first horror movie I saw. I believe that was Frankenstein as a very small child. <laughs> but <laughs> as a even a little bit bigger child, still a small child, but... Scream was the one for me. And then I think shortly after I saw H2O 
and both 90s horror movies. And then that brought me to, I believe, the original Halloween. And I've just been a fan of the Scream franchise, Halloween franchise ever since. And that's when I got into Freddy and Jason. And we'll get into all of those stuff and the more obscure ones and even some horror movies that aren't part of the slasher genre. But Eleanor, you did not grow up a horror movie fan. You are not a slasher movie fan from child, so you don't have the nostalgia. Right, I was sheltered. <laughs> a little, well, it's okay. It's okay. We're not judging here. We're not slashing anybody here. So what are your unbiased thoughts? Because obviously I'm very biased. I think this movie is pretty much perfect from start to finish. Sure, there's some things that feel very 90s, but to me, it's not 90s in a bad way. It's like cheesy, but cheesy on purpose. And then making up for it with a good payoff later. I don't know. It just it was It's a, like it hits you right in the childhood type 90s It was for just me. a great, perfect story, perfect cast with the perfect director released at the perfect time for right. me. That is my official statement for this movie. <laughs> I would say that for me, it's like the stuff that you might find kind of cringy or like 90s or early 2000s type flavor to me, it just hits right in the childhood. So, like, it feel it hits that nostalgia. So you still had nostalgia, even though you hadn't grown right, up with the film. Right, but it's just from the feeling of the movie more. Because I haven't seen the movie as a kid. Like, right. I wasn't allowed to watch horror movies But the world where, where the world was, where that movie was taking place. Right, it was like, yeah, yeah. Like, being there, you know, being in the 90s, all that good stuff. So it was... It's like, yeah, I could feel this. And I was getting that from the movie, definitely. The cast is great. The cast is phenomenal. Yeah, they really are. They really are. I think they had perfect casting for everyone. You couldn't have had different people play different people. Like, as I think my two standouts are probably Randy and Stu. And probably because Randy just made me crack up dying laughing multiple times in this movie. And Stu, (laughs) like... Matthew Lillard is just fucking unhinged in the third act. And I'm like, there's not very many actors that can give you the level of spit profusely flying at you through the air while joking. And they're absolutely unhinged entirely. Like, right. I I would say actually, now that we're talking about it, I think my one con, it's just a minor, minor gripe is that, and although it's not even a gripe, it's just, I wish that somehow, some way, Billy Loomis would have been able to survive this movie. I thought it was great that they had killed both the killers and made it very, you know, a definite finale to this film. It was, a, you know, it, it was a conclusion. It had ended that story. Right. But Billy Loomis, to me specifically, was so iconic. I just wished we'd gotten to see more of him. So I... I do like the way that his character ended, but if in another reality, if there was a what if scream story where maybe Billy Loomis killed Sydney and then went on to, I don't know, kill her unknown child. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. That would have been cool to see. And I was glad to see that a little bit of Skeet Ulrich in the newest one. That was really cool. Yeah, I do. I did really enjoy that. Um, we will have to do a review of that newer one, too. Cause it's when we good. get there, absolutely. Yes. Um, I would say I loved Billy Loomis' character. Um, but I would disagree with you on that being a con for me. I think it was perfect that they died. I felt like it was a good, fitting ending. Yeah, it was um, definitely less He's cliche. not like Michael Myers, right. where you can kill right. him and he comes back again. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it would fit very well. Right. But 
Finally, the success of Scream spawned numerous slasher films during the decade, all trying to replicate. Many films attempted to find more humor in their own slasher films and make them more meta? Metaness? meta e meta e baby. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Urban Legend in 1998, Bride of Chucky in 1998, and Final Destination in 2000 are a few examples. Even the marketing of Scream was replicated by its competitors. What You Did Last Summer in 1997, The Faculty in 1998, and an even older slasher franchises would try to replicate the success of Scream. A notable example is Halloween 20 Years Later, H2O, in 1998. Finally bringing it back to its own meta self with the fifth installment into the Scream franchise just came out this last year. And that will pretty much do it for this week's episode, guys. Thank you so much for being here with us. And if you enjoyed this little retrospective review, then please consider giving us a like if you were on YouTube. And if you'd like to voice your opinion on this or give us any other recommendations of what you'd like to see next, then jump down in the comments below and join our conversation. And consider coming back to the channel because we do post other content on the channel seven days a week. And this podcast is available, podcast only, on Amazon Music, Spotify, Samsung, Samsung Podcasts, Podcasts uh, all sorts couple, of other, other ones other that you can too. go on an Easter egg hunt for. And uh, yeah, that'll do it. Thank you for being here. And again, my name's Derek. My name's Eleanor. And this has been day. the uh, Slasher Saturday Podcast. Thanks for being here. What's your favorite scary movie?